It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Around the 412. We are part of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Tyler, and with me as always is my co-host, Smitty. You know, I, I talked last week about having a tie Monday, and honestly, I think I'd rather have that right now because today <laughs> is a loss Monday, not a victory Monday like it looked like it could be towards the end of that game against the Chargers last night. But anyway, how's your day going, man? What's going on? What do we call this? Margar- I think I need a margarita Monday or something. Margarita Monday? Yeah. It needs Misery to be Monday? Misery Monday could work as well. Yeah, let us know what you guys think we should start calling Mondays after a loss. You know what really sucks about this, though, is the entire division besides us won. Wasn't yeah, the previous fashion for the Baltimore worst case scenario for the Steelers on Sunday? Yeah. Well, you know what, too? I mean, you just mentioned I don't want to keep harping on a, on a past result like the game's over and done with. But like I wouldn't feel this bad about this game, especially considering they were missing three key pieces on the defensive side. Had they not tied with the Lions like that just makes this so much worse. I feel like seeing that one in that tie column. Yeah, uh, like I get the one is is better than a loss. And I understand like, yeah, you were missing Ben in that game. So with Mason Rudolph, what can you expect? I guess a loss or ties are better than a loss. But yeah, it's just it's just frustrating. And I feel like for this game, specifically this game, I'm, I'm in a similar scenario where because of the result of the game and how the game ended up playing out, like going into the fourth quarter, the Steelers were losing 27 to 10. I feel like if they would have lost like whatever it would have been like 34 to uh, 17 or like not make a ton of like like much of a comeback, I would have been more complacent with this loss, but having the Steelers come back and tie and then take the lead and then lose that lead. It's just I feel like it's a much more somber than feeling that I would have had if they would have just lost and it would have been like an outright loss. It wasn't even close. Yeah, we we don't want to dive into specifics until the second segment of the show. We'll talk about, you know, what really led to this loss, you know, other than the obvious, the fact that T.J. Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick and Joe Hayden were not available to the team. Um but what I will say, well, first off, hey, man, shout out shout out to the fans, though. You know, two thirds of that stadium were Steeler fans. It's crazy to see the way that they not just like people always say travel, but like that's just Steeler fans that are rooted in that area. Now, they're not traveling very far. Oh, yeah. A lot of them. I mean, that's just how Steeler fans are. You know, they're spread out everywhere. Um, but shout out to them showing up, making SoFi open up SoFi for the first time as Steeler fans, uh, the new home away from home. Um 
looks like it was a great experience for everybody out there. Juju was actually at the uh, the tailgate that like I would normally be at with all those. Oh, really? People. That's pretty so, cool. Shout out to him. Yeah, he did like a pop up shop or something there. Um, nice. So, but yeah, shout out to the fans for that. But also, I want to like it's just figures, right? That the offense has their best game when the defense is just so depleted that it doesn't matter. They couldn't have stopped. They would have stopped anybody tonight. Yeah. First time that the offensive scored 30 points this year. Um, and they got, they ended up getting 37 And in the NFL. If you score 37 points in an offense, you should win the game except when your defense gives up 41. And I understand they were missing the pieces, but like, you're really testing the depth at that point and the depth on the Steelers defense was really exposed. They did not hold up to what we hoped we would have seen from, from the defense. It, it, it was just, there was no answer for almost anything. They showed a little bit of pushback in that fourth quarter, but then whatever happened, happened the Mike Williams yeah. touchdown or whatever you want to say, like it, it, they were just constantly giving up the big plays. They never really made a ton of stops. They turned back the clock and looked like the 2016 Steelers defense, maybe even a little bit worse, because at least those what carried all these defenses really has been the pass rush. And when you don't have a guy like TJ Watt to provide that pass rush. And also, why did it take so long for them to move Alex Highsmith to the other side and get him away from Rashawn Slater? I was saying it the entire time, like Taco Charlton isn't winning his one on ones, regardless of who he's going against, like get Highsmith away from Slater. And that's the only shot you have of generating pass rush. And it ended up happening, but I don't know why it took so long. Anyways, the only reason that they were able to get back into this game is one shout out to miles Killebrew, who for some reason you can't vote for, for the pro bowl as a special teams player, but that's his second <laughs> blocked punt. Now almost had a touchdown, but he kicked the ball out of his own hands, trying to pick it up. Um, Hey, he and, was falling Danny, out of off balance, so I'll give him the better than that. And Danny Smith for dialing that up too, but yeah, that's Killebrew's second block punt. And then Cam Hayward being Cam Hayward, you know, in a very bad situation with what the defense looked like right now uh, for this game. I mean, another tip pass that's a sixth of the year turns into a Cam Sutton interception. They should have gotten the free 15 yards after that, after a second headshot, not just the one to Najee Harris, but the Cam Sutton as well, following that interception. Um, but really, like, a, just a couple splash plays were able to, to get the Steelers back into this game. But as a whole, the defense, they were not stopping anybody tonight. Austin Eckler, four touchdowns. We talked about Austin Eckler, by the way. Shout out to us last, last episode for saying <laughs> that Austin Eckler was going to be the issue for this defense. I had a feeling... You know, even Sands, Minka Fitzpatrick, that the emphasis of this defense was going to be making sure that they didn't get the top taken off of it by a guy like Mike Williams or like Keenan Allen with his route running. It's going to be Austin Eckler that's going to win this game for the Chargers. Unfortunately, we actually were right for once. We were right, but <laughs> the other two things you said, the route running of, of Keenan Allen and taking the top off of Mike Williams, yeah. those also happened in, within that game. Well, there was a lot of things that went wrong. Yeah, Mike Williams, uh, what did he, he, that was a 53-yard touchdown at the end. So what did he yeah, finish with? He finished with five for 97. Okay, so I held him relatively in check prior to that. Keenan Allen did have, he had like. Nine for 112. Nine for, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I, again, you know, we're going to talk about Devin Bush actually as we transition to the second segment here. But uh, like him on Austin Eckler was, was bound to be horrible regardless. I don't care if we're getting Devin Bush before the ACL injury. That was that's a mismatch, and the Chargers were going to expose that regardless. That's the second time that the Steelers have had a mismatch against a uh, skill skill position against the Chargers on a linebacker. Whenever Vince Williams in, in Heinz Field was covering Keenan Allen, Fort? or LJ, LJ Fort. Fort too. 
Yeah. It's probably both of them. I, I remember a lot of LJ Fort in that game, though, but yeah. Basically I, the same thing. You're, you're having a speedy skill position, and the middle linebacker just cannot keep up, but the Steelers never adjusted. Yeah. Fun times. Um, the Steelers do fall to the Chargers, 41-37 at SoFi Stadium on Sunday Night Football, <sighs> leading to Misery Monday, Martin, Misery whatever Monday. you want to call it. Misery yeah. Monday, yeah. Uh, so let us know in the comments what you're calling today. Let us know in the comments as well how you're feeling about the team right now. Do you have a little bit of optimism because of what you saw from the offense and just thinking the defense just needs to get these three guys back? Or are you just, man, the depth of this team is so bad, knowing that they're going to be tested at times, and this is the performance that you get. Let us know in the comments what you think. We will be right back to talk more about this game, dive into some specifics as far as players go, the overall performance of the team. I really want to talk about, I know you're chomping at the bit to talk about Devin Bush and the defense. I want to talk about Ben Roethlisberger and the offense. We're going to talk about all that, but we will be right back. This is Round the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Smitty. That is Tyler. Let's talk some specifics. Now, following the Steelers' loss to the Los Angeles Chargers out in SoFi Stadium on Sunday Night Football, we are reliving it here on Misery Monday. That's what we're going to call it, at least for this episode. If you guys have any better suggestions, please put them in the comments, as we stated. Um, What side of the ball do you want to start with? Uh, You know... Since the defense is really what cost them the game, I figure we should just start there. I'm wearing Joe Green jersey, so perfect. Yeah, you mentioned before the show (laughs) that they could have used him. I fully agree. Uh, They were missing TJ Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick, and Joe Hayden this week. And even though they they were missing those players, you you thought that you might get a little bit of more plays from the defense. At least you would hope so. And you got none. Um, and I'm going to start with, we mentioned it before, Devin Bush. I mentioned it last week's sh- on last week's show, 
that this is a guy that was starting to look like, okay, you, you should not have made the trade for to trade up for him when you did in the draft. It's, it's not like, like panning out. And this is just adding on to that argument even more. He looked terrible in last night's game. And I, I don't understand what is wrong with him. If the ACL injury made him that much of a different player so much. I mean, I thought ACL injuries, you play better after you have them now. That's what I've been t- told today. But I, I just feel like he is not the same player, especially side to side. We heard how fast he was from sideline to sideline. Well, covering Austin Eckler, he was getting burnt all the time in last night's game. And I just think the linebackers as a whole are an issue on this defense, but him specifically and it doesn't help that he was drafted at number 10 and he can't control that himself, but him specifically has been playing terrible, not just this game, but the entire season. Yeah, I think the thing with him, it's gotten from the point of, you know, it's going to be hard for them to ever win that trade. When you trade up into the top 10 for a guy, that guy's got to be like very good. And he was he was drafted to replace Ryan Shazier. Very tough spot to be put into, you know, to try to live up to that. Uh, but he's gone from being a guy that maybe you should have traded up into the top 10 to should this guy have been a first rounder to should this guy be playing over Robert Spillane right now? I mean, you know, post post ACL injury, he he just doesn't look like he belongs. And it's not all on Devin Bush. And we talked about this. Eddie and I did last night while we were talking about the game on um, our live Q&A following the game. But he, I think, is probably the person that is missing Aluwalu and two at the most because he's a pretty small guy for a linebacker, right? I mean, we, we were talking about him being a sideline to sideline guy in college, a downhill thumper. Like he relies on his athleticism more than anything. He's not going to be able to take on these blocks and shed them. If offensive linemen are getting and climbing to the second level, beating their first guy, getting to Devin Bush and getting their hands on him, Devin Bush is not breaking off of that guy to make a play. Um, now a lot of it to me, it looks like he's kind of sitting back waiting for that contact to happen a lot of the times. So that that's obviously on Devin, you know, not on the defensive lineman, but the fact that these guys are climbing to the second level with ease is where I'm saying it's not all on Bush. However, yeah, he has not been good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to absolve him of blame by any means. I just think he's probably the person that's missing those two guys the most. Yeah, and I think in the run game, that's definitely true. I think that the the loss yep. of Aloalu has been huge for the linebackers. But to me, in the passing games, I heard about like how quick this guy was. But and maybe the ACL was that big of an injury for him that it really slowed him down. I just don't see the quickness anymore. And I understand that Austin Eckler is a very athletic guy. He's a stud, but he looked like a bum trying to cover Austin Eckler. <laughs> It just looked very slow. He couldn't keep up. And the athleticism that we've talked about so much with Devin Bush just was not there. And I I feel like that's where he's useful as a linebacker. And if he's not being that athletic type of linebacker, why is he out there? Like you said, like, should we be just playing Robert Spillane over him at this point? Because he might be doing better. At least Robert Spillane to me is a guy that at least in the run game, like you're talking about, is going to take on that contact and not wait for it to come to him. Yeah. And Devin Bush is not doing that. 
Yeah, or is there another guy like should should Buddy Johnson or Ulysses Gilbert be getting more of an opportunity? I, I I don't know. I'm literally asking that question. I'm not trying to say that they should. I'm not pounding the table for any of these middle linebackers right now. I haven't seen enough from a guy like Joe Schobert either coming over in that trade. Although in this game he did make a really nice play on fourth down to turn the ball over. Steelers end up taking the lead there. It doesn't matter at the end. However, really nice play from Schobert. Finally makes an impact play, but. I think that that just goes back to what I was trying to bring up earlier with like the coaching malpractice. Like if you see that Devin is not that he hasn't been that guy in coverage, I think that because of his athleticism coming out, everybody just kind of assumed he would develop into a guy that's really good in pass coverage, but that hasn't been the case. And he's shown nothing to make us think that that's going to happen. So why do we keep trying to make it happen? He cannot be one-on-one with Austin Eckler. You know, while we're covering the defensive side of the ball, I want to just wanted to bring up so we know i Brent mentioned the fact that uh watt hayden and Minka were out but i think the one that i miss the most and this might be surprising to people is Minka fitzpatrick and i'm going to say that because i noticed that when it comes to uh trey norwood and terrell edmonds that when it whenever the plays were developing they were sitting back and waiting on the players to catch the ball. Meanwhile, Minka, I think has the ball instincts to know what is happening and know how the play is developing, that he jumps on the plays quicker than a lot or a lot quicker than these guys did. And I think that was missed in the defense. I noticed it specifically watching those two guys, obviously because of the safeties, but they just looked like they were being very hesitant on letting the plays work out and then making a play on the ball. Meanwhile, Minka is the type of player that he can read that he's better. He's smarter and he's better than those guys. And he knows where to go for the ball and where to make these plays. And I think that was greatly missed in the passing game uh, because really Justin Herbert could just torch the defense like all night, not just with his arm, though, with his legs, too. And that was another annoying part because there was literally no spy for Justin Herbert. It felt like the entire game. And I, I don't understand like the, Justin Herbert. I understand he's, he is a pocket passing quarterback. Like that is what he is. But anybody who's watched Justin Herbert play before knows that he can run too. And it looked like the defense had no idea that that was even a possibility. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I like, you know, you, it happens a couple times. Okay. But like, that's where the adjustments come into play in the second half for me. And it just, it didn't happen. Um, as far as Menke goes, I thought that Herbert did throw the one pick after uh, Hayward tipped it. I thought he had two or three other passes that that could have been intercepted. And I know that Menke hasn't had the best turnover luck this year, but you just wonder if maybe he makes one of those plays and he, because of the splash playability that he offers. And then for sure, that Mike Williams touchdown does not happen with, with Minka back there as opposed to Trey Norwood. Uh, you know, Cam Sutton. He, he's playing on Williams for a little bit. He kind of hands him off in coverage and decides to bracket uh, or d- decides to. I'm sure that's the way it was designed, but he kind of hands him off and, and Trey Nor was just late to react to it. And, and Herbert, you know, finds that um, along the sidelines and Williams does what Williams has done most of the year, except for the last couple of weeks by making that big play. Um, but yeah, just a, a bad performance overall. Um, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess I still thought, you know, Cam Hayward, Alex Highsmith. I thought Alex Highsmith actually did have a good game when I said, you know, they flipped him to the other side and actually let him go to work over there as opposed to trying to have him win against a really good rookie in Slater. Um, you know, but but beyond those two, you know, like I, I was Devin Bush, I thought maybe he would actually have an impact in this game. I don't know why I thought that. Joe Schobert, 
I thought Edmonds would, would maybe step up. James Pierre, Cam Sutton. I know that Cam Sutton did have that interception, but I don't know. I thought there was enough on the defensive side of the football for them to get a few stops, you know, and really the only stops they got were from the turnover and a blocked punt. So I don't know, but I do want to talk about this offense real quick, just because, like I said, um, you know, it, it figures the offense has their best day when the defense has their worst day. Uh, ben found found a little bit of a rhythm. I wish that they wouldn't have gone completely away from the run game the way that they did. Najee did only have 12 carries. He did get knocked out with a concussion for a few drives as well late in this game. Did come back at the very end, um, but we'll, we'll see, you know, as far as that. I think that's something to monitor with him. But what did you think about this offensive performance? Because I, I feel like, again, this was just kind of like the Deontay Johnson show who we know operates, you know, he, he is the passing game pretty much what they want to go through him. I actually thought besides the, uh, what was the one play where I was like, man, like Claypool, I mean, it goes back to what I've been saying all year about Chase Claypool was he just needs to be more physical. He just goes down too easily. I've never seen a guy that big have the worst contact balance in the world. I actually thought he was pretty decent tonight though in this game i thought you were going to talk about the one where he literally just fell down it, it he was might by be. himself uh, he was no, by himself it definitely was wasn't that one yeah, def- yeah no it was that it wasn't that one but offensively i thought uh, obviously they did well they, they they put up the 37 points which is a season high um and listen i might get hate for this so many people on Twitter after the game were talking about, okay, Ben is clearly the number one quarterback. Yeah, that's obvious because the Steelers quarterback room sucks. Mason Rudolph <laughs> sucks. But I'm not going to act like Ben is like all of a sudden like an all-star again. Like he had a decent game, but I'm not going to lose my mind over this performance. I still think Ben is immobile. And I think that was noticeable not only like throughout the game, but listen, I understand that Joe Haig on that last drive was terrible, got blown up. But I feel like Ben, if he was a little younger, would be able to move a little bit out of the way. But at this stage of the game, or like like in his prime or his age, he cannot do that. And I feel like that's what separates him from a guy like Tom Brady. Tom Brady knows how to move in the pocket still and is capable. I just don't think Ben's able to. So yeah, Ben's quarterback won, but only because the Steelers quarterback room sucks. Like I'm not gonna like crown this guy as like an amazing quarterback again anyway moving on i i, I think he had a good performance though um yeah i was overall. just saying that, that's the that's the really sad part about this to me is i i feel like this might be the best game that we see him play this year probably um considering the the, the offensive line up until that that point in the past protection like was tolerable i guess uh they're still not great the whole unit is not good and they're not going to be good all year we already know that but um my my biggest my biggest uh frustration about this team and the offense is the play calling still i think the play calling is just downright awful especially in the red zone and especially when you're inside the five yard line how do you have plays within the five yard line and you don't run the ball once you run it on, you pass it on four downs. I don't get it. I mean, I guess they technically ran the ball once with a chase Claypool jet sweep, but I'm not even going to count that as a run. I'm going to count that as a pass because screw back Canada. I cannot stand his play calling. And I think the difference for me between uh, what I thought Matt Cannon was going to be and what he is now is that if, if you're going to be a good NFL offensive coordinator, I understand that Matt Canada's offense needs to have a mobile quarterback ideally to succeed. 
But if you're an NFL offensive coordinator, it should not matter who you have as the quarterback. It doesn't matter. You should be able to adjust and run that offense efficiently. And sometimes it looks like it's running efficiently. And then he gets in the red zone. It completely shuts down. And it, it just frustrates me to no end. And I'm, I know it frustrates everybody else, too. We're confusing. We have Najee freaking Harris in the backfield. Why are you not running the ball at any point within those four downs with Najee Harris? Yeah, I think that that's probably where you notice the shortcomings the most, and he just looks so overmatched as an offensive coordinator. He has nothing. He has no answer for how to beat an NFL defense in the red zone. He just cannot steam it up. And I understand you know, some of that is probably personnel issues when you have the offensive line the Steelers do. It's not as simple as just saying, hand the ball to Najee Harris. But when you are less than five yards away from the goal line and you have a guy that literally every time he touches the ball falls forward for two or three, you got to give it a shot or two or three at times, um, especially in situations where you're going forward on fourth down, as we saw with like the Friarmouth play, which was god awful. Anytime that Najee runs out and lines up out wide and you see Friarmouth come across the formation, uh, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, that, that play, they might as well have said, hey, this is what we're running if you guys want to try to stop it. Um, so, yeah, I think that Matt Canada, you know, what we were expecting Listen, like Jets, he didn't invent the jet sweep. He didn't invent all this motion. Like it, it's it's something that is coming into the NFL and it has for a while now. And hey, it's great that he implements it. But that stuff does not make him some offensive guru genius. I do not think that he he belongs in the NFL, at least not right now. I think that it was way too early for him to become an offensive coordinator. I think that this has always been my biggest issue. I love Mike Tomlin as a head coach. I've always really struggled to understand the people that they put beneath him in terms of the coordinators. And when you're talking about a defensive first guy in Tomlin, I think it is absolutely imperative that you have one of these new modern day NFL offensive coordinators. And I I don't think that the Steelers have one. No, I don't either. And I was explaining to uh, a couple of people I was watching the game with that if you watch Matt Canada's offense, and I related it to the 2016 pit offense, the reason that offense works so well and why what the ideal scenario for a Matt Canada offense would be is that Nathan Peterman in 2016 was a mobile enough quarterback that the whole key for those jet sweeps and all those motions that is that you never knew who was getting the ball or who was keeping it. He could hand it off to the jet sweep. He could hand it off to the running back behind them. He could keep it himself. He could throw it. There was just a lot more mystery behind who was going to get the ball. But in this case scenario, Ben's the quarterback. We know he's not keeping the ball. There was, except for that one play against the Lions last week, I believe he kept the ball and tried to get a first down, but didn't the get it. Or the Bears. Bears, Bears game. Yeah. I, that was very un, <laughs> un-Ben-like. I don't know where that came from. But, but that's the type of quarterback and that's the type of offense that Matt Canada would succeed in. He does not have that. And I, I feel like as much blame as I want to put on Matt Canada, and there's a ton of blame on it. You mentioned Mike Tomlin and and what he, what's the coordinators under him have done. How much of this blame can go on Mike Tomlin himself because he's the one hiring these coordinators, and it's not just one coordinator. We've seen it with multiple coordinators, especially offensively in a row, where they just don't work out. Yeah, I mean Tomlin, Colbert, Rooney. Like I don't know who's, you know, it ultimately falls on. But I'm just, man, these these internal hires, like I don't know if it's just an unwillingness to go out and spend money on offensive coordinators or what or coordinators in general or what. But 
it's it's not it's not cutting it. You know, something has to change there. So I don't think and, and listen to your your point with like Matt Canada's ideal offense. What I've said time and time again to counter that, though, is it, you can't like bring a guy in that needs a specific type of or specific personnel for his offense to succeed. His job as an offensive coordinator is to get the most out of the personnel that he has. He's He can't fit a square peg into a round hole. This is what you have at your disposal. Make it work. Yeah, that's why I said he's not, he's not an NFL coordinator. He's just not. You you have to be able to adjust with what you have. And it's yeah. not going to get any better moving forward because for the rest of the season the Steelers have the toughest strength of schedule remaining for the NFL. Yeah, it's nice to see that Kansas City's kind of found their legs. That's great to see. Yeah, it's great. So we we <laughs> we've, we've got the Bengals, Ravens, Vikings who beat Green Bay today, Titans, Chiefs, Browns and Ravens hey, again. The Titans though they might be on the the downswing. Also, I don't know if I said this on here last week or if it was just on Platt's picks, but uh, I think the Raiders are falling off, and it was only a matter of time. With everything that's happened in that organization, I feel so bad for Derek Carr. He's just surrounded by a fire that's constantly going on, and he's just in the middle of it. But yep. uh, it's not yeah. going to get any easier for him or they the Steelers are actually, or anything else. The Steelers are currently now out of the playoff picture following this game. Uh, with the Chargers jumping into a playoff spot, so right now, Titans at eight and three hold the one seed. Ravens seven and three lead the North and have the two seed. Patriots seven and four. That's crazy. They've now jumped the Bills and lead the AFC East. The Chiefs, after all that, still back in first place, following a four-game win streak. They are the four seed, leading the West, and then Cincinnati, LA, and Buffalo currently hold the wild cards. The Steelers are the first team out. But also the Colts are coming, and I'm still I am not a believer in Baker Mayfield, but I still think the Browns are going to hang around. Dude, it's it's crazy. You had a tweet um, yesterday morning, and it was like, if if you knew who the best team in the NFL was, or you thought you knew, you actually don't. And <laughs> yeah. it's so true. At least, especially in the AFC, it's so wide open this year. You have no idea who's going to be the best team week in and week out. Like predicting a playoff picture right now. Yeah. With only seven weeks left, it's it, you have no idea. That's the thing. Everything that the Steelers could potentially achieve is still in front of them. Really good news. We're bad news, depending on how it goes. These divisional games that haven't been happening, seems like we're – why have the Steelers only played two games in the division? We got Cincinnati and Baltimore the next two weeks. So buckle up. AFC North football is right around the corner. And for this show, some good – Hockey talk is right around the corner because the Penguins actually had a pretty solid week and we're going to talk about it. Tristan Jari specifically really good this past week, right in a shutout streak right now as well. So we're going to talk about him and the rest of the Penguins, highlight the penalty kill a little bit too, talk about everything that's good going on in Pittsburgh right now. Anyways, we're going to talk about the Pens when we come back. This is Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
Two around the four one two on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. Let's wrap up the show talking about the pens uh, because a lot happier times I feel like than the last episode. We were just coming off that brutal loss to the Capitals six one, and it was very uh, lethargic talk on here, if you will. We were all doom and gloom when it comes to the Pens. Crosby had a rough start to his season coming back. Obviously, only playing one game post wrist surgery, and then he's out with COVID. Um, this stretch of hockey that they've played over this past week, though, starting with, I think, really the third period in that Buffalo game, carrying over to the next two games um, against the Canadians with dominant performance, and then a really good game from Tristan Jari, the penalty kill. Uh, there was at times where the offense looked lifeless uh, in this game against the Maple Leafs, but really the defense and Tristan Jari told the story. Um, a, a much better week for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And primarily, let's let's just start by talking about Tristan Jari. Yeah, I mean, he's been great. He's been everything that we thought he wasn't going to be going into this season. The whole <laughs> summer, we were talking about how we needed to find goaltending help. We needed someone to at least be a 1A to or a 1B to Jari's 1A if they're going to roll with Tristan Jari as a starting goaltender going into the season. And he's just shut everybody up. I mean, we, this is a guy that came off one of the worst goaltending performances I've ever seen in a Pittsburgh uniform in that Islanders series this offseason. And he's completely flipped it around, in my opinion. I know we, we still we still joke about the uh, the shootout problems that he has. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. clear as day that that's just not his little forte. But I, I think overall as a goalie performance in actual games and not a skills competition, uh, he's been really, really solid. And he's the reason that the Penguins are not in the hole or a deeper hole that they would have been so far this season. I mean, the, the team in front of him has not played well in a number of these games, and he's been at least good enough to get them to certain overtimes and like shootouts, like I mentioned. He's kept them in these games, at which they needed him to, with all the guys that the Penguins have been missing so far. He's had a stellar start to the season that nobody in their right minds thought they would be having. Yeah, he hasn't given up a goal since that second period against Buffalo on on Tuesday night, last Tuesday. Um, so since then, you know, he's on a little bit of a shutout streak now. I don't want to jinx him, but I'm assuming the next time we talk, that's probably going to end. But hey, who knows? Maybe he's just going to force more, more games uh, without giving up a goal. Uh, but yeah, he's been fantastic. And like I said, I mean, really magnified when they're killing penalties. I mean, they had to kill a five on three for nearly two minutes against Toronto. Toronto. Think about how much talent they can throw out there on their power play, too. Yep. And it wasn't like the the Leafs, you know, the, the Pens, PK. You know, I, I think you have to give them some credit for sure. But it's not like Toronto was spending a lot of time in the zone. The first power play that they had yesterday was nearly two minutes. Or I'm sorry, Saturday night was nearly two minutes in the, in the zone, the entire thing. Um, so Tristan Jari has been fantastic. The goalie problems have really been about what's behind Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith because he has not provided that uh, – really that backup role for the pens at all. He's not taking any of the workload off of Tristan Jari right now. Like he, he, Mike Sullivan, it's pretty clear does not have the confidence to turn to him other than in literally back-to-back situations. That's the only time that we're going to see Casey to Smith. So you just wonder what's it going to take for them to maybe go out and address goaltending, not because of Tristan Jari, but because of Casey to Smith behind him. 
Yeah, he's been a huge disappointment. And this is a guy that I've mentioned on the show before. I raved about a ton. I even said that I would protect him in the expansion draft over a guy like Tristan Jari just because I thought Mm -hmm. he was more valuable as a backup than Tristan Jari was as a starter. Well, I look like an idiot. That's completely flip-flopped. And Tristan Jari looks way more valuable as a starter than Casey DeSmith does even as the Penguins' backup. I mean, at a certain point, you you wonder what – is the peng- or what are the Penguins going to do in these back-to-back situations when they would we only see get Louis rest? Shot. You could because if we're going to just keep getting losses every single time Casey DeSmith goes out there because he's not performing well enough, the the state that the Penguins are in and where they are in the standing so far, I know it's still early, but you can't just depend on this guy to just not perform up to stuff. And they've lost like every single game he's played. You can't do that as a backup goalie. And I, I think that the league is trending in a way where it's like there's less and less uh, just starting goalie and backup goalie. It's a lot of one A's and one B's when it comes to the goalie situation. There's more splitting time. And if they get mm-hmm. into a situation where it's like, OK, Tristan Jari's been handling the team enough, but we need to give him some sort of a rest. Right now, they can't rely on Casey DeSmith to spell Tristan Jari and to give him a breather. They can't do that. He's not performing well enough. So maybe you do see Lou and me. Maybe by the trade deadline, they do bring in a different goalie. I don't know. Maybe the, the trade for a goalie or a signing of a goalie comes later in the season as opposed to this past offseason that we thought it was going to happen. And it, it came to replace the other goalie that we didn't think it was going to be for replacing. Maybe, yeah. maybe so, but as you, as you mentioned before with Tristan Jari, the, the thing that's been great with him is on the penalty kill. Not not just him, though. The penalty kill in general, I just wanted to touch on, they're number one in the league now at 89.13%. Uh, so as bad as the the power play has been, at least on the other side of the special teams for this Pittsburgh Penguins team, we have the best penalty kill in the league right now. Teddy Bluter, Zach Aston, Reese. Brock McGinn has been huge for the penalty kill too. Coming over, um, you know he's been he's been a nice addition. I mean, he even looks offensively like he's a guy that could score double digit goals, which is really all you can ask for guys playing your third fourth line. Um, so yeah, I mean the penalty kill is definitely doing, and it's good to see Brian Dumlin have his best game of the season too. I thought uh, against Toronto on Saturday night as well. Um, kind of you know let's let's transition a little bit because I know that they didn't have a great offensive performance in this game against Toronto, but you look back at the last couple games. Jake Denzel's finally starting to get it going. He's got goals in four straight, and that's kind of what you expect to see. Now he also has kind of like kickstarted Sid as well, which you know the way that those two feed off each other, so it was only a matter of time. Yeah, I think I think that was important for both of those guys to get going. And now Sid hasn't played a ton of games, so he might have a little rust on him, but you wouldn't expect too much. He's Sidney freaking Crosby. Uh, and, but Jake Gensel, Jake Gensel, he needed Sid to get back. I, I don't think I, – I mean, you and I both say, like, Jake Gensel is a great player outside of Sidney Crosby no matter what. He could play with whoever. He's still going to be a great player. But it's not going to be the same Jake Gensel that you're going to get with Sidney Crosby. I, I mean, it's just a little different when they're both together. Yeah, so well, it's it, also – he doesn't have – he didn't have G. Either you know, if you're not gonna have Sid, you at least hope that he's got Gino to play with. He didn't have either one. Yeah, so, so. the fact that Sid comes back and he's playing well that that was great for him and great for both of them because uh, it looked that early on in the season like the 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 team as a self was not needing a one or two lines to carry it. But as the season went on, we noticed that they're not getting scoring from the depth of this team, and yeah. now that this first line is back. Uh, they still got that second line rolling. I, I, I think that it's it's just more 
uh, relaxing as a team itself to see that first line, seeing Sid on it, seeing Jake start to score more. And I feel, feel like that will help feed the other lines itself, knowing that they can have that line to also rely on. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't seen Brian Boyer or Drew O'Connor, who were two guys that were, you know, had a had decent starts to the season. I think that this speaks to the the depth that we have. I mean, really, like you look at the lineup right now, they're rolling with Dom Simone as kind of like that 12th forward. He's kind of he, I guess he's kind of won that competition for the time being over Boyle and O'Connor. Um, me personally, I don't have a problem with Dom Simone being the guy in there. You know how we are, but I, I would love to see Drew O'Connor be the guy uh, on that fourth line playing with Rodriguez and Heinen. I just think that they would offer more. I just technically a third line because they showed Bluters the fourth line, but that's neither here nor there when you're talking about this. Um, I would love to see O'Connor as the 12th forward, but I just think he can provide a little bit more offense. I guess uh, really to me, though, the only disappointing guy amongst the forwards, I know he's got four goals now. He, he had a hat trick in one game. Kasperi Kapanen, in my opinion, is probably been the Penn's worst forward. Um, I, I don't know what's going on with him. He even spoke. I got to give him credit for speaking honestly about it, but how he's just not always engaged at times. You know, if things aren't going right for him, he kind of just becomes disengaged with the game. And uh, you don't want to necessarily hear him say that. I guess I can respect the honesty of it. But, you know, to hear a player say that is kind of alarming. Um, you know, how do you keep a guy engaged, I guess? Because I thought at times him, Zucker and Carter have looked pretty good together. Yeah, I have, too. And I thought that even though he wasn't scoring in the in the early on games, I thought that he was still playing well. He was still generating chances and he was still like giving his best effort. It was just a lot of yeah. bad puck luck. Um, but really, since that Hattrick game, I think he's had what, what just the one goal since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides that, he's, I don't know how you would keep a player engaged. I feel like that's more so on the player, no matter what, if, even if you're not scoring, you just have to keep going. I, I don't really think that's, that that's something that people can bring out of him. I think that's more internal. Like you just have to keep yourself engaged and keep yourself in the game and keep, keep that motor going. And if that's something that he's dealing with, then that's something that he has to figure out quickly because we can't. This is a guy that we're expecting to rely on for offensive points, and he hasn't been doing that. He has four goals and seven assists, which I mean isn't terrible, but we're expecting more from this guy, especially as a top six winger. The numbers on the surface don't look bad. I mean, he's second on the team in points right now with Evan Rodriguez. Jake Gensel was 14, Kapanen and Rodriguez both with 11. But, you know, you got to look past that and you watch him play. And again, he just he has the puck on a stick a lot. So, like, at least, you know, the, the confidence from that standpoint is there. But he's just doing a lot of nothing with it. He's just skating around a lot. And again, I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, I just keep going back to he doesn't seem engaged with what's going on. Um, like Zucker and Carter, I feel like have found pretty solid chemistry. I'm curious as to how things shake out when Gino gets back. I assume that we're going to see Gino with Cap and then Carter with with Zucker, and then they figure out the other guys that's playing with each of those two. Yeah, and and maybe that's the case. Maybe we, they stick Zucker with Jeff Carter on that third line, and then they find a different winger Dan with Malkin and Kapanen. And, yeah, true, because we, we saw the chemistry that Malkin and Kapanen had for that little while when they were both healthy. Was that last last year? I don't know. Mm-hmm. These seasons, these COVID seasons, confuse <laughs> me as, as to yeah. when hockey was played. But but we saw the chemistry that those two players have. So maybe that's the reason that Kapanen doesn't really have the same focus that he's had or the same drive that he's had. Is just like he doesn't mesh well with Carter and Zucker together. Like th- that is a line. So maybe when Malkin comes back, that's co- completely different, and we could see a completely different Kapanen, the Kapanen that we saw last season. And then maybe they could spread the wealth out throughout the lines, move Jeff Carter and J- Jason Zucker down, and you've got multiple lines that have good chemistry pairings together. 
Um, last thing that I want to ask you about, and it's kind of referring back to the Pens uh, teams of the last couple of years, specifically one line. What do you make of the Bluter Aston Reese McGinn line as opposed to the Bluter Aston Reese Tanev line that we had fallen in love with over the last couple of seasons? I think they're fairly similar. Um, I, I think they're they're both responsible defensively, which is I think f- their first objective is to be the shutdown line create no offense for the other team when they're on the ice. And I, but I think that McGinn has now, obviously he doesn't have the speed that Tanev had. I don't think anybody does on the team, but mm-hmm. I, I think that McGinn might have a little more offensive upside than Tanev had, um, which I think is helping that line as well. And I, I, I think that it, it's, it's similar to the Tanev line, but a little bit different. I think they're, they're more offensively productive with McGinn on that line um, maybe they're more they're better defensively with Tanev, but I, I th- still think they've been pretty solid so far. Um, I'm sure Danny could break down the numbers for us on that one, but I, I, I've been pleased with that line. It's basically like we took we got rid of Tanev and replaced him with a different Tanev that's a little bit slower but more offensive. Yeah, it's. Tr- I mean, I, I'm not like I'm definitely not objecting to that point um, because I definitely think by the time the season is over that that will be the case. Tanev has seven goals already this year, though, which is kind of wild. I think like two of those are probably I think two of those are empty netters. But still, it's pretty crazy to see him up to seven goals, which is like what, like one below Eberle for the team lead or something there. Um, so he's off to a pretty decent offensive start. But I definitely agree with your point in general, because I, I said the same thing. Like I thought McGinn would come here and provide a little bit more of an offensive boost to that line while keeping them as a shutdown defensive group for the Pens. Um now, Tanev I, is also playing with Yanni Gord and Jonas Donskoy, who are, I think, more offensive than Bluger and yeah. Zach Aston And that's Reese. the thing. I'd be interested to see so, what that line has done defensively. You know, has he taken a step back his defensive numbers, not playing with Bluger and Zach Aston Reese? Because I think, you know, to us, uh, Bluger's the center, right? But Zach Aston Reese is really, from a defensive standpoint, the straw that stirs that drink as far as why they're so good defensively. Um but, you know, even Teddy Bluter, we're talking about offense. These guys pro- provide more offense. He's got five goals this year. That line already, those two have combined for nine. Like, I don't think that through this number of games, anybody thought that that would be the case for that group. No, I don't think so as well. And I, I think that 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 proves that goes to show how, like, offensive I think this that, that line can be. And I, I think that it, it's tough to compare Tanev's numbers right now to, like, what he would have been on the Penguins. Like, there's right. – I honestly, I don't know, but if I'm a betting man, I'm betting that he does not have seven goals if he's on the Penguins right now. And maybe that's just the play style. Maybe that's the line that he's on. I, I just don't think that's the case. But the fact that uh, Bluger and Zach Eston Reese, that whole line has been as good as they have been so far. I think it's really uh it's really good to see that because we were questioning why are you getting – this offseason was so confusing for me especially because it's like we lost Jared McCann to lose Brandon, Brandon Tanev when you didn't need to lose either or either of them or at least lose one of them. But if you're going to lose them, how are we going to replace that? And I think that Brock McGinn has done a good enough job. Friend of the show, by the way, he's been on our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think he's good, done a good enough job, and I think that line's been productive, and I think that's one I of just, the lines that we've been able to count on for the majority of the season. Tanev's got to be due for something. He's shooting 20% right now, by the way. This is this is like William Carlson first year in Vegas, what he's got going on right now. There's no way that that continues. So, listen, yeah, I, I, love I don't Brandon know Tanev. what the underlying numbers are. 
Yeah, I don't know what the underlying numbers are. I mean, his Corsi 4 percentage is 50.6, which is still solid, but I, I don't know what the actual like advanced numbers are for him. I can't really find that that easily very quickly. So, yeah. But still, I, I You'll think have people that, in our comments saying that doesn't matter anyway, so... Yeah, I mean, last year he <laughs> shot 16.3, but then you go back to like the year before that, 11, he's like doubled his shooting percentage. It's, so, yeah, it's it's got to come down. Yeah. And again, I believe that a couple of those are empty netters. But, hey, that's where I want to leave off because I want you guys to answer that for us. What do you guys think about this new shutdown line that the Pens have in McGinn, Bluger and Aston Reese as opposed to the last couple of years with Tanev, Bluger, and Aston Reese. Let us know in the comments your thoughts comparing those two or on Twitter, because this is going to be our teaser clip, of course, since we're asking you guys a question, I want you guys to get involved. Um, other than that, real quick, I got to bring up, obviously, rocking around the 412, uh, because we have a little bit of an announcement to go along with that. By the time that you guys are watching slash listening to this, hopefully more information is out on there. Um, we obviously, we've already hit... Um, and thank you to you guys so much. We've already hit the total donations that we had from last year, this year. Um, however, I did set a goal of 7,500. I am very set on making that happen. And to help get even more donations, we are calling in some reinforcements. We're going to do a live show with the Yin Series. Shout out to Jordan, Morgan, and Sam. They're going to join a live show with us. And I got some more stuff from Pristine Auction coming in. And we're going to do like a live auction show. So you guys are going to bid on the items. Once you pay for them, we move on to the next item. It's that simple. So, yeah, the Yinsers are going to join us for a live show for that. If you guys, if this is your first time ever hearing about Rock Around the 412, go to our Twitter at Around the 412. It's our pinned tweet. You can go to the GoFundMe right there. Read the whole mission. Share it. Donate if you can. Every single penny goes to the families in the area um, to help provide Christmas in its entirety literally in its entirety, including getting the family a gift card to go into groceries to pre- pre- be able to provide that holiday meal. So good stuff there. Of course, shout out to the Yinzers. Two of two thirds of them are actually uh, we're at the Chargers Steeler game in L.A. So and that same two thirds are going to be dying their hair because we yeah. have 5,000 for Rocker. True. I forgot to bring that up. Too. We got to we got like I feel like I got to do something because like, yes, yeah, Sam and, and Morgan are dying their hair. Uh, I believe Chad is shaving his head and I think Eddie's shaving his beard. Like people listen, I'm down to do something. I just have you just have to approve it with my fiance first. (laughs) There you go. And I don't have anything that I got to run by anybody. So if you guys have an idea for me, let me know. Um, But yeah, uh, of course, you know, shout out to everybody that's donating, but definitely shout out to them as well for, you know, wanting to help the cause to the extent that they're willing to do things like that just to make sure that we hit our goals. So just a bunch of love in the Pittsburgh podcasting community. So be sure to check out their shows as well, because they're on the DK Pittsburgh Sports uh, Podcast Network as well. So subscribe to the channel. Leave us a like. Leave us a comment. Of course, answering the question that we just asked you guys. Other than that. For Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.